90 degree turns where we expand the minds, beliefs, and perspectives of the collective and awaken the sleeping, sleeping many. My name is Trisha Margus, and today we have the amazing pleasure to speak with Corey Good. Hi, Corey. How are Hello. you today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited you're on the show. So I'd love to get started. Um, for some people that are just waking up now, they might not be familiar with your background and your story. So I'd love to know if you can give us a little bit of a, a painting. Uh, would you say... Um, I know there's a lot to cover, but maybe yeah. just an overview so we it's have a, an understanding. I can give you a mosaic. It's a huge topic. When I uh, I, I um, started talking to David Wilcock in about 2008 or nine, mm -hmm. and uh, really started giving him my information around uh, 2012, 2013. Uh, before that, I had kept it completely quiet, you know, even for my family. Um, what had occurred is that when I was um, seven years old, six, seven years old, I was brought into a military program for children where they locate children that have certain gifts or abilities. Mine was intuitive empath. And um, they take those children into a program and push them through a program until they're about 17 years old. And they're grooming them for different programs that, that they need these um, skill sets in. And I happened to be, at the end of that 17-year period, transferred into what they call a secret space program, where I served what they call a 20 and back. And that's when you spend 20 years in a military program, and at the end of that program, this is where I lose most people, they do a genetic uh, procedure on you that age regresses you okay. back to the age of 17, and they put you in this giant, looks like an MRI machine, but it, instead of just one uh, ring that goes up and down, it's a, just one giant ring, uh, giant tube, with a cylinder that they slide you in. Mm -hmm. And um, it fires up, and then it's like nothing happened. Then they pull you out in this big drawer, but you're in the same machine, but 20 years earlier. And then they debrief you again and integrate you back into your life. They search you, insert you back into your life. And is it at the exact same time frame that you left? Within minutes. So then they have very advanced technology to be able to even take you 20 years yeah. and throw you right back. The, the 20 and back program came from a, a Nordic race that uh, the, the, this Nordic group and this Draco group have been uh, doing uh, battle forever, basically. It's a temporal war. So um, the uh, Nordic group approached the White Hats in our military and said, if you assist us in helping uh, defeat the Draco, we'll give you this 20 and back program. And they've used it on many pro uh, planets to be able to use the resources of the planet, like you know, people coming out and fight the war, and then removing the memories and inserting them back into their original timeline they do this so they can use mass resources, but also skirt some cosmic laws about, you know, having to do with free will and interfering in civilizations. Mm -hmm. So that was handed over to the military, and um, they immediately started abusing it. Okay. So then when you were younger and you kind of got funneled into this space program, did you have any choice in the matter? No. As a matter of fact, my grandfather on my father's side my whole life growing up, we heard you know he was involved in secret experiments. He was a uh, Seventh Day Adventist, and uh, they you know don't believe in war or violence. 
So in World War II, when he was drafted, they gave him an opportunity to go into something like the white coat program, mm -hmm. where they tested um, viruses and other diseases that uh, soldiers would run into on the battlefield, even test chemical weapons on them a little bit. And uh, he was real patriotic about doing that. But what had occurred is that when he signed the paperwork, in the paperwork it said, we have we reserved the right to uh, view all of your offspring over the years to see how this has affected them. Okay. Little did he know, an ET group, the reptilians most likely, or one of these uh, insectoid groups that are genetic farmers, um, have had manipulated the viruses in these inoculations, or the viruses, they were, live viruses they were giving these soldiers, and made changes to the virus, and the virus would go in and actually change the DNA. A virus can be used as a delivery system to change DNA. That's how um, a lot of these genetic farmers, they've upgraded our DNA. They'll release a disease, and it'll kill off the genetic, what they consider genetic weak, mm -hmm. and the genetic the more robust genetics, they then manipulate with that virus, mm -hmm. and therefore they, that's an easy way to change an entire population. Mm -hmm. The ones that die off, obviously, yeah. the not going to go further. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. So when you were the when you're referring to when you were younger, that's the MyLab program. Yes. Correct. Stands for military abduction. Okay. And so you went from there, and then you started doing the twenty and back. So in this twenty and back. I mean, where do we even begin? What what did what was the first thing you remember when you got when you got to this twenty to the first I guess the beginning of this experience? Well, I was immediately brought to a um, scientific research vessel mm -hmm. where they wanted me to serve. I had been trained specifically to interact with ETs, but also to interact with scientists and help when they they have all of these different programs. I had an intuitive ability to have them work together and. Uh, I could find ways that their, um, you know, their science or their scientific experiments or uh, programs would mix and match together in ways that they never would even have imagined. Mm -hmm. So um, I had all of, I had all of the training, and they brought me up to this vessel. And the captain is, is a U.S. Navy vessel. The captain said, "No, I'm not going to have another one of your children crying for mommy on my ship." It's, he said, "No." I won't, I won't have him on. So they took me from uh, that location and entered me into what they call an intruder intercept and interrogation program. And I was almost for a year I was in that program. And they had intuitive empaths, other kids my age, and they would bring three of us in to observe interrogations of ETs that had come into our solar system without permission. They would interrogate them to find out where they came from, what the mission was, you know, all of those types of things. And, uh, I mean, there was some crazy, it's like men in black. There was uh, one being that they brought in. You, most of them were human. They looked very much like us. Okay. But every once in a while, there would be like an insectoid being. Mm. Um, these insectoid beings, when they were developing on their planet, you know how some animals can um, camouflage themselves. They have different yes. abilities to help them hunt. Well, this species just happened to have the ability to affect the consciousness of their prey. So if I, I would make, like if I was a, one of these uh, insectoids, yeah. I would make myself look like a really attractive, you know, uh, whatever species I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hunting, mm -hmm. and they would come towards Yeah, the thinking predator, it could be a mate or something. You know. or... Yeah, so as that species evolved on their planet, so did that ability. 
Mm-hmm. So these insectoids, they can be in a room uh, or, or in a stadium, that, that large of an area, standing up there, and everyone will look at them and see them as a human because they project that into the people. Mm, it, 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 they can even affect technology. Okay, so it's a kind of a disguise. It is. Just a, as a front. Yes. But then truly they're an insectoid being. Right. Do they look like giant ants, giant mantises? This, this particular one looks like an ant. Okay, interesting. It's an ant person, an ant being. And uh, the one that they were interrogating, this, this one I'm talking about, they had pulled him out of uh, one of the, a high rise building in Manhattan where he was an executive in a corporation and was living amongst us. And they pulled this creature out, and um, he was it was very resistant to um, uh, the interrogation. It had a group consciousness, um, um, a hive mind, mm. and as it was being interrogated, so was its entire hive mind. Mm. And it was very difficult to extract information from. Um, they were using pain, all types of tortures, and uh, it wasn't really responding, and uh, eventually it uh, the, the hive mind shut it off, mm. and uh, it basically turned into like a like a zombie, almost like a zombie. Mm. So then nothing could leak out of it. Right, they, and uh, they escorted it away and brought it to the scientists to do their studies. So then, what's the objective of the secret space program? Is it a benevolent program? <laughs> is it malevolent? Is it a mix of the two, depending on who you work with? Well, yeah, it depends on the level. Most of the okay. people I served with, they're U.S. military. They're, you know, they're all about God and country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing what they think is the right thing. Um, little do they know, there's a slave, uh, galactic slave trade going on behind their back. You know, people, millions of people are taken off the planet and uh, traded off to ETs mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm. for trinkets or biological specimens from other mm-hmm. star systems. So, um, but. Um, for, for the most part, the people that are serving, are they have good intentions, but, you know, the people that control them, you know, they'll, they'll be sent on a mission and they don't really know everything about the mission. They're getting a need to know, and they think they're going out to do a scientific experiment when mm-hmm. they get out to a location, and then another group will leave the ship with cargo mm-hmm. um, craft and then come back with, you know, secret cargo. Mm-hmm. So there was all, you know, that kind of thing happens on naval ships, you know. As well. So there's just a lot of working parts for the entire, it's like a clock, right? You have yeah. all the different gears, and everyone's kind of assigned to their section. Yeah. And it works in unison, but maybe not everyone knows the whole picture. Yes. Just by being one cog in the machine of it yeah. all. Yeah. So oh. the um, the secret space program was set up during the actually the 50s and, and 60s for the most part uh, was designed, and then it uh, came to real fruition and like 1979, 1980, the way that they financed it is that they had found information by using these craft before they had built a program, it just experimental craft. Mm-hmm. They had flown out and they flew to the back of the moon and they found signs of a solar catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about this uh, Luna city on the far side that's made of glass and glass spires. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not really a city. It's ejected from the sun. It's like, you know, when you're blowing glass and yes. it's all hot, yeah. it's like someone took that and just threw it against the wall and it splattered on the back of the moon and some of the spires were some of that ejecta that hit mm-hmm. and they, they just kind of bent over and spiraled as they were coming into the moon. So they found also remnants on Mars of this catastrophe and, and other places. And then they came back to all of, to the UN 
and they told every country, if you give us like 1% or 3% of your GDP every year, we'll build out a, um, what do they call it, a uh, preservation, it's not, it's not right, it's kind of a preservation of species kind of program, mm -hmm. to where um, they said they were going to build bases in our solar system, and bases in the closest 13 stars to ours, to where we would, uh, preservation of species mm -hmm. is what they called it. And they said every country that contributes, you're, you'll be able to give a certain percentage of your population over to be saved when this mm -hmm. great catastrophe comes. So that is that is how they started the program. And uh, that was the guys. And that's one layer of the secret states program. That's what they're working for. Mm -hmm. But it's ran by a cabal-type network, mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of you know, very nefarious stuff going on. Wow. That's, thank you for sharing that. Sure. that I haven't shared that. Uh, I, I received a lot of information on the moon. The only person I've really, I, I think I spoke to uh, a few people around here about it, but this is the first time on camera I've really talked about it. Uh, I gave David Wilcock a briefing about it recently. Mm. But, I appreciate you yeah. sharing the knowledge. Wow. So then what was your involvement then? You said you were an intuitive empath, right? And you were able to meet with other beings and you then got uh, put into a different program where you're doing interrogations. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so many questions to ask, but yeah. uh, I guess we could start with um, just where, how did you feel about this? I mean, as a, as a human being, okay, you are, you had a life on Earth and then you got taken to the secret space program. Are you in a base? Are you on a planet when this is happening? Oh yeah, this was a base. You're, okay. Yeah, and we spent time on the moon. There's mm -hmm. a, uh, detention facility on the moon. And it's above ground, underground? Underground. underground. Yeah. So then, how, how are you feeling at this point when you start this program? Well, yeah. I was still basically a child. Yeah. You know, 17 years old. Uh, just, it was just before I was 17, you know, a couple mm -hmm. months. And, uh, you know, I came, they pick children for, uh, for these programs that come from difficult childhoods mm -hmm. because we're used to getting slapped around and, and put into stressful environments mm -hmm. and we don't break down, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had the outer facade going, but on the inside, I was terrified. I was a scared little kid. I missed my mom. Mm -hmm. I missed my family. And, uh, you know, that slowly waned. I mean, it's 20 years, mm -hmm. you know? You mm -hmm. get to where you, you can't even really remember what your family looks like. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you have to like really search your memory, and then you're wondering if your memory is correct, and it's mm -hmm. you know maddening. But then you get into a routine. You realize, mm -hmm. man, I've got 19 more years of this. So you get into the routine, you suck it up, and you do it. Yeah, this is your new job now. Right. So instead of going to school or anything, yeah. this is your. And and unfortunately, they put me in a very dark part of the program in the beginning, where they were interrogating these beings, and then you know. So some of the, most of the people that worked on this base were total sociopaths. You know, they mm -hmm. tortured these beings to get information out of them, and they had no soul. And mm -hmm. they were bringing in this these young, intuitive kids. You know, and um, you know, they liked to you know kind of berate us and uh, treat us badly because we were more kind of spiritual. We were the other side of the coin, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they, they just couldn't help it. So, you know, it was, it was very rough. That was my first, like, almost around 10 months. Mm -hmm. And then they changed captains on the research vessel and observation. And then that's where, you know, I spent 
I spent the rest of my time assigned there, but they loaned me out all the time because intuitive mm-hmm. empaths were highly desired, especially ones that uh, had a, a good record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, those of us who were proficient, were, we were loaned out to other programs all, all the time, even programs to where um, um, you, you do remote viewing and you touch, you know, like a cathode diode type panels, um, like metal uh, plates that you put your hands on, and then you go into your meditative state and project your consciousness through, and it amplifies. And uh, they use that type of uh, um, technology to get past etheric defenses mm-hmm. for ETs and humans. And you even, uh, when you're uh, enhanced with that technology, you can kill people. You wow. can affect their physiology. Just the energy yeah, you affect their physiology and make them stroke out. Or... Wow. So they were. Um, doing hits, you know, they had hit lists. You know, mm-hmm. People sitting in there in chairs, just killing, killing beings and killing humans. Mm-hmm. Wow! So did that really weigh on your soul when you were going yeah. through all that? Did yeah, like, it, was, it was sickening. It's heavy. A lot of the, a lot of the real sensitive people, as sick as this sounds, to be able to be around these sociopaths and to be able to, I mean, it's not like if they said, you know, put this person in a chair, we're, you know, we're going to work on them. It's not like you could say, no, screw that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, had no choice. Yeah, yeah, you really had no choice, and it was the control system they had. It, you know, uh, you know, you always have a choice, but you didn't feel like you did. Mm-hmm. What would happen if you decided to say, "I don't want to do this anymore"? Would you just essentially ring the bell and get kicked out of the program? No, they take you and re-educate you. So then have to reprogram you. Yeah. Further. Yeah. So there really was no way out until twenty years was done. Right. Yeah. If you show signs of resistance, they'll blank slate you, which is wipe your memory, like men and black. start you over. Yeah, like men in black. Wow. What, what other kind of technology did you see while you were on this base? Well, also on the ship, I saw um, uh, weaponry technology that they used. They used torsion field, uh, basically like cannons or arrays mm-hmm. that uh, they would aim it at an uh, enemy craft or location and fire, and it would just twist time-space all the way where the object is. And after they turned it off, it would look like someone took a, like a Coke can and like, you know, wow. like that. Mm-hmm. They could take out entire ships or groups of ships. Uh, they had uh, one weapon that uh, it shot lightning bolts. There was uh, a person who would sit in a chair, and there was what they called a kill cone that went out. It was a, a field that shot out from a node, and it spread out into a cone. And anything inside that cone, when they pushed the button, that field made it electrically conductive, all the space, mm-hmm. and then they would hit a button, and everything in that kill cone, like lightning bolts, would hit them and destroy them. Wow, so is this used for galactic warfare there? What was the objective of using all these weapons? Well, I mean, because here on Earth, we don't, we're pretty primitive in our weaponry. Right. So to hear this, some people might just be completely jawed on the floor. I talked earlier about the slave trade. Mm -hmm. Before we developed our space program, Solar Warden, to police our own solar system, these ET groups, marauders would come in, they call them, would come in, and sometimes they would take an entire village out in a third world country. An entire village gone, and then off they go into the slave trade. Mm -hmm. So we developed the technology to be able to defend uh, our planet from these Mm -hmm. types of beings. Okay. But what happened was, as the Cabal said, these beings really want our people. Hmm. Make a deal. Commodities. Mm-hmm. So they then um, started trading 
humans off themselves. They have people down with checklists. What whatever? What do the ETs want? Oh, you, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed girl. Whatever. Yeah, we can find some of those. Make make a list, and then mm. they send out the lower groups that are in the human trafficking mm. field that know nothing about ETs. They don't know anything about it. They don't need to. All they need to know is they need a blonde hair, mm. blue eyed person of this description or whatever. So they snag them, mm. and then the person ends up being. Uh, brought up into one of these ships and sent and traded away. So then what are they being used for? Depends on the race. Mm. Believe it or not, I mean, uh, there's the sex aspect. Mm. Um, the women of this planet are seen as fairly desirable. Uh, but also, the men and women of this planet, we are, <clears throat> we're great engineers. We're, we're very intelligent engineers. They will take engineering engineer engineers off planet and trade them away and uh, they end up you know designing and engineering for these ET groups mm. as slaves yeah. um, so they use them as actual slaves and in some cases um, they consume them That's true. The, the, the way I found out uh, about you know, uh, about that was a, a pod was opened and there were a bunch of like, dead bodies in it that had mm -hmm. no hair they'd all been clean and they were filleted and they were being sent off like meat. Sounds almost traumatizing to, yeah. <laughs> to realize that that happens. It I mean, is. So, uh, in this third dimensional reality, we, we deal with duality, yeah. right? So, on these ships, like we mentioned earlier, that depending on who you work for and what program you're part of, it could be benevolent or malevolent. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I want to understand then, uh, did you get to encounter more benevolence or more benevolent projects that you were encountered with? And how did that affect you as a being, as, as a soul? I mean, it sounds very intense what you're saying right now, and to imagine humans being filleted like a cow. Right. Well, you know, is and that was after about six or seven years of being difficult. in the program. After I was pulled out of the interrogation program, mm -hmm. things really kind of calmed down. Mm -hmm. I was working with scientists. Um, they liked me because I was... I made jokes. I would make them laugh, and uh, I was, and they liked me also because I solved problems. I help, well, I help them solve problems mm -hmm. uh, by intuitively bringing people together and, and bringing up topics that made light bulbs go off in their heads, and then they would go off and talk, and you know. So, um, and the scientists, you know, would there was a lot of downtime between experiments. They would talk. We would talk. So it was uh, it was pretty boring, to be honest. You know, it was it was boring. And, you know the portals were like this big, you know, you know, the, on the ship, and uh, I mean, the, one of the duties was uh, there was a section of the ship that I was uh, had to keep clean all the time. You had the squirt bottle and the rags, mm -hmm. and you're, you're cleaning. And there was this one little porthole, uh, the same spot in one hallway that I always cleaned, and where the, where the porthole was, where you could look through it, there was always forehead grease. Where people just <laughs> leaned their foreheads. And there was always that the forehead grease every time to, to clean off. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was it was pretty boring. We did a lot of uh, um, uh, redundancy training. So if one person gets hurt or one group gets taken out, you know, we can uh, do the same or at least moderately do their job. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of weird training. Uh, it's like 99% boredom, 1% terror. You know. Mm -hmm. But as far as them being benevolent or malevolent. The program seemed more immoral. Mm. You know, they were scientists. They were trying to develop uh, all types of uh, biological technologies and actual um, electronic technologies, type technologies. And some of, uh, 
very often they crossed over. So they were doing experiments. Most of the scientists that came in, uh, they didn't do 20-year tours. They would come in. Some of them would do six months. Some of them would do like three years. Mm. And they would come in and, and do their job, and then they'd be gone. And so there was a cycle of people coming through. Ooh, lots of turnover. Yeah. And, and uh, sometimes I would be gone for many months. I'd be pulled away to be sent to a different group to assist them. But I was, that was always my station where I was assigned. Mm -hmm. So you're mostly on the ship then, and if they wanted to go to places, you'd right. be sent off. Wow, so what did this ship look like? Is it like anything we've seen in, um, like in the sky? Or yeah, I'll try to get you an, an image, actually. I, uh, we uh, did a 3D version of uh, uh, the, uh, the USS Sommerfeld. Um, it's a research vessel. It, the Marines that would get assigned to it for security, they hated it because they wanted to be assigned to like a real military vessel. This is a research vessel. Mm -hmm. um, they called it a hot dog. It didn't really look like a hot dog. Mm -hmm. it, it was a long cylinder with these little half cylinders of a smaller uh, dimension, uh, diameter uh, on the sides. Okay. And uh, um, to the, the Marines, it was a derogatory term. They would call it a hot dog. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, um, and it, it uh, usually there would be anywhere from two to three hundred people assigned to it, but uh, it was uh, you could reconfigure the ship. It, the ship came apart, and um, there were all of these modules that would be pulled out. So it, it could be um, set up to do a whole bunch of scientific experiments, or if they needed us to trans just transport a bunch of people, it could be turned into like a troop transport, mm -hmm. yeah, or um, transporting. Uh, you know, just materials, mm -hmm. uh, but it was, you know, they could configure it any way they wanted, and that was one of the big things I had to do. After they would bring in new um, sections, we would have, they would say, okay, this is going to be set up for these types of experiments. So then we would go into storage, and we'd pull out um, the, um, basically the walls, the doors, and all of that, which were modular. You just hammered pins in them mm -hmm. uh, to, to keep them together, mm -hmm. and, uh, you would have all of these different rooms, and they could design it however they wanted, and they were they were all marked uh, to where you know we knew how they fitted together very efficiently, and we would set up all, all of these different uh, experiments or, or whatever they needed. That was mm -hmm. part of the job. How did how did you travel between um, the ship or different parts of the ship or onto other planets? What was the technology that was used? They are smaller craft, okay. smaller jumper craft. That would uh, you know take us down. We would go to Mars mm -hmm. often because they're, they're, Mars is more of a corporate uh, setup, and uh, every once in a while uh, they didn't they don't have the access to um, as many technicians and engineers as the, the programs do. Mm -hmm. So sometimes let's say if a, a critical piece of machinery breaks down in one of these Mars bases, and they don't they can't get someone through the corporation for like months, they'll contact these military programs, and they would, because there's not a lot of trust between them, they'd have intuitive impacts come to help diagnose mm -hmm. machinery, but also to make sure there was nothing negative going around, nothing that we should be worried about. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, we would go and spend sometimes weeks fixing, fixing uh, machines. Sometimes mm -hmm. we'd go in for a day, we'd be escorted by the, uh, the local corporate uh, guards, and then escorted back to our uh, vessel. And, off we go. And this is like a really simple question, but how were you able to breathe? Like, were you in some kind of chamber or device or have some that you're able to 
Um, while while on the base, while on Mars, the base. I mean, while on the base, while you're traveling through. I mean, how? No, what the, kind of connection systems were the, there? The bases are pressurized, and um, they even pipe in the Schumann resonance for the health mm -hmm. of the people there. So they make it as much like uh, home environment uh, home environment as possible. Okay. But they're like prisons. It's uh, they're very the, the feeling there is very dark and bleak. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, uh, going outside on the surface, which I did, we, you, you, you wear a much lighter uh, uh, biological containment suit than you would think. Okay. Yeah, the, the environment there, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's really cold and the air is really thin. Mm. Um, but, you know, like I said, I've, on, on cosmic disclosure, there was, uh, you know, uh, plant life and strange little animals. There was, the, the, there was an area they were clearing out to put a security outpost and uh, I was walking around the outskirts, and there were these kind of like shrubs, almost like trees, and they were they had the purple, uh, a lot of purple in them, and they had thorns on them, and like real big thorns, and it was, they were like colonies. It's like the root system grew, and they popped up, sprouted up, and there was an area of those, and uh, I was standing observing the the, uh, the plants, and then I saw some little movement in the dirt, and up pops this little head, and it takes off flying. I, I didn't think anything could fly in that light of an atmosphere, but it took off, and each time it flapped its wings, and it peep, 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 and it looked kind of like a like a bat bird, but it was real small. Hmm. But uh, there there are um, life forms there, not just bacteria. There's, you know, after the catastrophe hit that planet, mm -hmm. some of the life you know, survived. It had to rebuild and yeah. establish itself. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you ever feel scared when you were seeing all these different kinds of beings? Or did could they program the fear out of you when you they, talk to a, 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 a being that looks like an ant or yeah, anything I mean, else? I mean, is the yeah. natural instinct still there? You know, you know, they say even the devil can appear like an angel of light, which mm -hmm. is true. They can manipulate mm -hmm. you. But usually in, those, in, in the situations I uh, interfaced, they call it interfacing with ETs in the beginning, they had already been captured, so the jig, you know, it was up. They were, mm. uh, but what I've told people is that every time I would meet a new ET or, or a different ET, I would get this fight or flight. I, I couldn't control it. It's like mm. this visceral thing that's a part of our physiology that I would get this fight or flight thing, and I would just have to wait a moment and overcome it, and uh, and then push on. But uh, it. It, it, and there were many, many hundreds that were brought in mm. over that over that ten months or so that were you know tortured and all of that. But uh, yeah, it's you plus having to deal with how it, they were interrogated. You kind of develop this outer shell. And mm. Some of I, I almost said this earlier, but some of the more intuitives or softer uh, people, uh, when they're surrounded by all these sociopaths that are doing uh, experiments on innocent people, they would begin just to be able to dehumanize them so they could get through it. They would make jokes and make fun mm. of, you know, it's real sick, but it's something that happened. It was a psychological thing. You had to dehumanize them mm -hmm. a little bit. To that barrier to do yeah. what you need to do. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, and then you have to deal with, you know, all of these people have to deal with the guilt and all everything you know, related to that mm -hmm. because they actually have a conscience. So, when you finish this program, then do they wipe your mind clean like they would, like in the Men in Black? Yeah. And then you end up being this 
just put back right where you started at yeah. like 17 years old. Yeah. Um, how are you able to remember these memories at all? Well, with intuitive empaths especially, three to five percent of the of the intuitive empaths they blank slate, they get their memories back. And they mm-hmm. finally figured out what it was by talking to the ETs that gave them the technology. They said highly intuitive people, people that are really connected to their higher selves, all of your memories, they aren't right there in your physical brain only. They're up in this light body as well. That's mm-hmm. how you can have mm-hmm. memories from past lives. Mm-hmm. Well, if that, if they got access to your mind and, and erase all of those memories, your higher self has the backup. Mm-hmm. It's like a virtual backup, and it starts trickling back in. Mm-hmm. And that's what occurs in three to five percent of intuitive empaths when they when they blank slate them. And I happen to be one of those. They brought me in many many times and tried, and mm-hmm. each time, um, you know, I ended up getting memories back in chunks, mm-hmm. and I would get about seventy percent of my memories. But like key memories that would tie all of the memories together, I wouldn't receive. Um, some of the program they gave me to where I was able to recall being on the research vessel, but if I would, I would look at a, a name tag mm-hmm. and it, it would be kind of blurred out, or the person's face is gone. It's just like skin, you know, uh, in the memory. You, they, there's certain, certain people, walk. they were so uh, highly classified mm-hmm. that not even their the people that worked under them are allowed to remember what they look like. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So that kind of stuff stuck, Mm -hmm. but um, it wasn't until I had a detached retina in my left eye and I went in for surgery and the trauma of the doctor hitting me with a needle in the eye, he didn't, my eye wasn't numbed. Uh, He waited too long after putting the drops in. It sent me into this, it triggered all, all the memories that were missing that came and tied everything together, and it was extremely traumatic because I had mm-hmm. memories of, you know, you know, people being in cages, you know, people, you know, Satan screaming at us, "I'm a human. Why are you doing this to me? I'm a person." You know, as they were being, um, you know, sent off to this, you know, slave trade. All of these types of things, and uh, you know, I it was really. I mean, I became almost suicidal. I can only imagine. It's, it's extremely yeah. heavy. The things that you yeah. have to deal with, and at that young of an age too. Even well, twenty well this, years of experience through it and yeah, back. Yeah, but yeah, this was like when I was around. I think I was around forty when mm-hmm. I had the eye incident, mm-hmm. and then you know everything came back, and I was in really bad shape. And uh, one morning, I I get up really early. I was in you know clicking away on my computer, my laptop, and these beans appeared in my living room, and they were. They're about this tall, and I look like Oompa Loompas. They, um, they're, they're Mayans, okay. a, Mayan, a Mayan advanced uh, culture. And with them was a military guy named Gonzalez. Mm. And um, he told me, uh, and we developed a relationship after a while, Gonzalez and I, but uh, he told me, don't be afraid. Um, the memories that have come back are very destructive. They're here to remove some of the memories, and the memories that remain, they're going to remove the emotional energy from, mm-hmm. so that you can revisit them without the trauma. As an observer. Right. Mm-hmm. So they did that procedure, and uh, after that, the next day, I was like, a, I went from, you know, you know how it is when you have your regular friends, and you start talking about this, you know, they all, some of them back away, you yes. know, I had you know, family that was kind of, you know, freaking out. 
about mm-hmm. it all. So, because they didn't know anything had happened to you from their eyes. Right. Well, some of my family knew that there was some programs going on, but they were like, "This is too much." Mm-hmm. You know, they're you know, they're psyched in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Um, I do have a question about. Uh, with all the advanced technology that you saw on the ship and that exists out in our in our reality, did you ever consider the idea that maybe the memories you have could have been like implanted in some sort? Like, how do you know what you know is really truly yours? You know, the I, I other than um, other people that I served with, mm-hmm. having contact with them, mm-hmm. um, and other people that served in the programs, everything matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's being, you know, I, I had memories of looking at myself at like 35 years old in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, when I, and I was 17 years old, mm-hmm. and I had memories of seeing myself at that age. So I thought I was going nuts in the beginning. And um, because, I mean, it was just, it was, it was a really difficult process. But um, when you're dealing with all of these military programs, you know, you, I guess you never can really know, you know, mm-hmm. what because they manipulate you all th- through the programs. Mm-hmm. They're constantly controlling your mind. So um, you, you can't tell, you know, like not being able to see that uh, uh, a certain captain's face, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, that, that is programmed in there, and there's nothing I can really do about it. You can't override even, it. Even the ETs were having, they were trying to override some of those things, and it, mm-hmm. it was a different ET race that had given us the technology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of those things were really, really removed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, it, it's just my reality. It's, uh, I, I have these memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I have all of the physical issues that go along with serving in a 20 and back, you know, the problems with the eyes, the problems with your neurological system from being immersed and bathed in these um, heavy electromagnetic fields all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, all of the people that had served in 20 and backs have these same types of uh, symptoms. symptoms. Okay, interesting. So, wow, thank you for clarifying that because many people might not, if they haven't heard of this before, they might want to yeah. understand. Is this really yours? How do you know? And but you know, to be honest, some of these ETs are so advanced, they can create sub realities that you think are real. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows right now? How do we know this is real? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a trippy thought. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you start, you get to a point to where your mind gets screwed with so much, or and especially these weird temporal things. You know, you get involved in with. You're travel, traveling through temporal space. You get like temporal dementia. It messes mm-hmm. with you. There are all of these different things that uh, you know you you have to have to learn to overcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're dealing with these real weird temporal things, you know a memory that you have. How do you know it was on that timeline? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really weird when you realize how all the timelines work, and that there are so many timelines that have they've kind of stretched out time and created all these timelines mm-hmm. to have all of these different resources to fight the enemy. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't a war over space, it's a temporal war. Mm-hmm. They've been fighting this temporal war forever, basically. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing this. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to get into the Mayan beings, and where did they originate from, from your understanding? They're in our local 52 star cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the time when they... Uh, were really having a difficult time, not only with the Draco, but they were having uh, their son was going through its cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, a large number of them, um, for preservation of species, were brought to Earth 
Earth has been used as a, uh, a colony for um, you know people from different planets. You know, many many times they uh, the uh, the Mayans were brought here, and I, I don't remember how long they were here. They were here for a long time, and uh, they started uh, intermingling with some of the other tribes and really growing, and, and their numbers started growing. And uh, when things were safe, when you know, everything was favorable again in their local star system, the ETs that brought them here came, retrieved them, and brought them back to their planet. And, Interesting. Um, so, so that's how they disappeared. They that now. solves the mystery yeah. of how they disappeared then. Yeah, but there, there have been a lot of other, I mean, going back, you know, about half a million years, uh, many other refugees that have been brought to Earth, and mm -hmm. that's what most of us are. Yes. Are, we're, we're from these refugees that, a lot of times, they would bring a refugee group, and if they mixed with another group mm -hmm. genetically, they would come back and they would take the genetically pure or the the ones that they considered fully their race, mm -hmm. you know, back, and they would leave the remnants. And mm -hmm. uh, those remnants would, you know, carry on uh, uh, as much as they could that civilization or, mm -hmm. or tap, pass on the information. So were the Mayan, um, were they of a higher consciousness? What was yes. their purpose here on Earth then? Were they trying to raise the vibration? Or I think what was the while vibration? they were here, they were, they were more like refugees from mm. what was going on on their planet. Oh, I see. Soon after they left here and went back, they had, there was a situation to where their, sol their solar system had a solar flash, a series of them, and it, had, it weakened the negative forces enough to where they went in and they fought a hundreds year war and recently won. I mean, like within the last you know few hundred years. Mm -hmm. And uh, now they are liberated and they're assisting us. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the part one of a part two series with Corey Good. The part two will come out next week, so stay tuned for that. And don't click that exit button just yet because we've got a quick little video about the Dimensions of Disclosure conference coming up at the end of August in Ventura, California. So check it out and I hope to see you guys there. I really did have a huge passion for all these paranormal subjects my whole life. Where my awakening really took off, that a close friend of mine showed up one day, and he was white as a piece of paper. He proceeded to tell me everybody in the higher echelons of NASA was well aware that extraterrestrials were real, that they had come here, they had landed on Earth, that we had recovered technology from their ships, and that much of our modern advancements were a direct result of this cosmic inheritance. You were born into this body with these dispositions, personality types. You had these experiences for a reason. We chose the trauma that has happened to us as a boot camp. As you expand in awareness, you start taking in these other dimensions, and contact is a natural occurrence when that happens. This is where we can really wake up, because when it comes down to it, we, we have to win the war ourselves within our own consciousness. People hearing for the first time that uh, this information exists, and for those that, that hear it, it's life-changing. Most of the uh, mind control and control grid that's going on is self-imposed. 
once one person starts researching and that domino falls, a bunch of different people are affected by this information. All of these things are happening, and then we have a whole spiritual aspect of this. We don't even know our own potential as human beings. We must be aware that there's always spiritual warfare going on. There's a war in the heavenlies, and they need vessels, bodies, vehicles in this third density to work through. Why do we lose our memory of who we are when we're born? It's because you're all God. And if you remembered you were God, you wouldn't be able to have this experience. We need to go inside to do checks in ourselves to know what the reality of things are or not. Humanity does have a type of free will, but we're not going to be allowed to destroy the Earth anymore. So the elite powers in control of this planet are planning for doomsday. So there's big changes coming, but everyone's got a piece in this, and no one's more important than anyone else. We're all in the same wavelength here at the most important time in the universe right now. Who are we, why are we here, and what is our destiny? That is the cosmic secret. Dimensions of Disclosure is a three-day conference located at the Ventura Beach Marriott in Ventura, California, starting August 23rd and ending Sunday night, August 25th. We're a grassroots conference that started about three years ago in Mount Shasta. We don't have any corporate sponsors and are completely supported by the people through ticket sales. This gives us the freedom to be completely uncensored, with a collection of speakers offering a variety of information from different areas of experiences, knowledge, and research. It is truly a one-of-a-kind conference. If you've never been to something like this before, this is the conference to come to. So many people are waking up to what's happening in the world around us. And as the new people come together from all corners of the world, we just keep learning more from each other. You belong here. Along with featuring the many facets of disclosure, we also concentrate on what's next. How to raise your consciousness and stay healthy and transform in these changing times. That's why, along with some very dense information, we also will be offering Qigong, sound healing, Tai Chi, different types of meditation instruction at the beach where the sun is shining and the negative ions from the ocean are balancing our chakras. Our conference begins at the beach on Friday morning, August 23rd, with a mass meditation at 1111. We welcome everyone to join us, whether they're there in person or not. And of course, every speaker in the Consciousphere Ballroom will be live-streamed, so if you're not able to make it to the beach this year, you can still come be a part of the conference through our multi-camera live-stream. We hope to see you in Ventura this year. You can get tickets at dimensionsofdisclosure.com.